Come on, 508, we good? Oh, man. Y'all are rowdy. Sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down. Man. Excited to be here. Learned some new, uh, new terms tonight. Um, uh, I'm now a senior pastor, and so I wore my, uh, my youth and young adult pastor wardrobe tonight, so I hope I fit in. I got a little leather on, and, uh, and Devin used the word thirsty, and I don't think they needed water. I don't know what that means, so maybe you could define that for me later. Uh, Justin Daly, my wife and I, pastor uh, Action Church in uh, Orlando, Florida. We have several locations there. Uh, I have two little uh, minions, two little uh, uh, rugrats. Bentley is nine, Kingston is, is five, and, and they've got soccer games this weekend, so they couldn't travel with daddy. But before I get into uh, the message, uh, I just want to honor the pastors of this house. Pastor Derek and Stacy are here. Can you give it up for the senior pastors here at Connect Church? Come on. Come on, come on, come on, come on. It's a slow, it's a slow build. It's a slow build, like a slow clap. Just stay standing real quick and give it up for uh, Pastor Devin, Natalia, the fries, everybody leading here. Come on. All right. I officially feel like I'm at the State of the Union address, except everybody's standing and not just one political party. But this is so, so, so good to be here. I mean, I love the fries. I love being here at Connect and the 508. And what Devin doesn't know is I didn't actually believe in him. Um, uh, Pastor Derek and Pastor Stacy just kept slipping $100 bills in my pocket every time I saw them. That is a true story. They were like, hey, don't give up on him. We're close. We're praying, believing. I was like, as long as y'all keep praying and believing and slipping me $100 bills, I will pastor this kid until Jesus comes back. So, Pastor Derek, I want to thank you so much for the stack that you gave me back there. That's why I'm here tonight. Um, just kidding, just kidding. Let's go to the Bible. Let's invite the Holy Spirit back in the room. Romans 8, I want to give us a theme, theme verse. Come on, come on. Yes. Won't he do it? Won't he do it? I'm not sure if that's a prop, but it's staying in my pocket. You know what I mean? Like, I learned a long time ago, you don't give money back. You don't know when you're going to get it again. Romans 8, Romans 8, the Word of God says, and since we are his children, everybody say children, children. we are heirs, everybody say heirs. heirs, heirs, in fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory, but if we are to share in his glory, you must also share in his suffering. I want to talk to you tonight about being a, a co-heir with, with Jesus Christ, that you and I, we really are, we are kings and, and queens, that we are inheriting the kingdom of God, that we are not slaves if we accept Jesus, that we are servants, but we are servants that are inheriting the same thing as, as our master in eternity with God the Father. You and I really are royalty. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. And I come from Orlando. Uh, if you've never been to Orlando, it's in central Florida. Wore my Mickey Mouse shirt tonight because I just saw it at Zara today and it looked cool. And um, if you've never been to Florida, it's kind of like living in someone's mouth. Well, it's humidity, you get it? Like, you know, you just, just breathe in for a second. It's, it's hot. It's wet. It's that's going to stick with you. If you don't remember anything else in the sermon tonight, you're going to remember that. I'm in Orlando, and there's a greedy mouse there that produces a lot of theme parks and a lot of movies, and a lot of people from all over the world come and spend tens of thousands of dollars to be hot and mad. You just go to Disney and watch people. I was there the other night, my wife and I, for her birthday, and we just looked around. And he's like, you know what you never see at Disney? Happy people. 
just angry, spending all their money, sweating, standing in line, and paying $25 for a balloon. Well, Disney made this movie called The Lion King. How many of you have seen the movie The Lion King? Come on. Simba, man, Lion King's a great movie. I want to start my sermon tonight with The Lion King. The, the movie starts right on, on, up on, on Pride Rock, and, and Simba's presented, and it's like, ah, something like that. It's African, and Elton John sings it, and he's presented, and, and Simba's going to be the new, the new king. He's the, he's the firstborn son of, of the, uh, the father. What's the father's name? Ooh, remember? Remember? Some of y'all missed that. Come on, don't leave me hanging up here. Someone, did you see Lion King, anybody? Man, the amen corner's even slacking up here. So they, they sing the song, and they go out, and they, they start singing him and Nala, and they have this cute little lion cub love, and I just can't wait to be king. And, and he's so excited, and he's, he's, he's going to be the, the, the son of the king. He's going to inherit everything. By everything, we mean the pictures they drew in a room, and they're just all there. We got Simba, and then we got the evil, uh, uh, the villain. What's his name again? Scar, that's right. And Scar comes in, and Simba's got a, a purpose. He's going to be the king. He's the prince right now. And then Scar comes in, and he's jealous, and he begins to devise this plan and create this, uh, this stampede through this, this really this gully. And then it's the saddest uh, part of any movie that I've ever seen. If you don't cry in this part of The Lion King when Mufasa dies, you don't have a heart, and you're probably not going to heaven. Like, I mean... <laughs> I watched the real version when it came out. I think it's still in some theaters. Like, I'm sitting there as a grown man with my two sons, and I am just tears. Not, not a man cry. A man cries one tear, and you suck it up. You know what I mean? Like, you get there, and you're like, no, I'm not going to go there. This is a full-grown cry, like shoulders heaving. Mufasa dies. He, and if you've seen the animated version, he almost makes it to the top every single time. Have you seen that? Like, you remember, he's just clawing. He's almost there, and you're cheering for him. And then every time he... Sinks his claws in and throws him off, and James Earl Jones dies just like he did in Star Wars. And <laughs> too soon. And then Simba goes and sees his uncle Scar, and Scar comes and speaks some really dangerous stuff over him. He says, "What have you done?" And he goes to this innocent young cub who just made some mistakes and says, "What have you done? Run far, far away." And let's pause in our ridiculous illustration for a moment. And I want to let you know that there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. That I don't care at the lowest moment of your life what somebody or something or what you spoke over yourself that caused you to run from God's best for your life. Nothing can separate you from God's love. There is no mistake that you could ever make. Well, Simba runs off into the distance, right? He, he runs out and he meets his, his two new friends. What are their names? Timon and Pumbaa, come on, you're not, you're not tracking with me. Come on, Boston. Timon and Pumbaa, and they sing that crazy song. What was it? It was Akuna Matata. What a wonderful phrase. Akuna Matata. Ain't no passing craze. Come on, everybody. It means no worries for the... Philosophy... Akuna Matata. It's the dumbest song ever. No worries. 
No, no problems, that means no life, no, no purpose. We're just going to exist. And too many of us have allowed somebody to speak something over our life in such a way that our depression, anxiety, insecurity has caused us to a place where we're now numb to everything else. And we just think that nothing matters. So nothing I do matters, nothing that I say matters. I'm here to tell you that it does. Then Nala comes back in because we all know it takes a good woman to get a man on track sometimes. And come on, have that kind of moment, that weird moment when you're a kid. Why are the lions like purring and around each other and the waterfalls? Can you feel? We're not going to go there because nobody needs to feel the love tonight. It's revival. If you're not married, please don't feel the love until after marriage. Come on, somebody. And then here's where I want to get to. We got that weird monkey that comes back in. You know, the one that held him up, Rafiki. And they go to that. That, that, that cave or that tree, he's like, mm, banana, squish banana, or whatever he's, whatever he's saying. You get it. And he's drawing on the, he's drawing on the deal, and, and he's like, he's alive. He's alive. And he goes back out, and Simba is there, and he's with them, and he's walking through the, the weeds. He's up against that creek, and it gets a little mystical here, so please don't, 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 don't get anything wrong. We're not like super spiritual or new agey, but this thing happens when Mufasa comes out. And he, and he begins to have this conversation where he says, I know, I know who you are. You're, you're Mufasa's boy. And he has this conversation with his dad. And his dad looks down and he says, what I need you to do, son, is you've been wandering. You've, you've been lost. You've, you've been running from your purpose. I need you to remember who you are. And if you hear nothing else in our time together tonight, I need you to remember who you are. That you are not your mistakes you are not the sum total of everything you've done wrong. You are not a label. You are not depressed, anxious, insecure. You are, you are a son or daughter of the most high God. I need you to remember, remember who you are. Because this faith journey, this journey in which we're pursuing God, it, it can be tough. I don't know how long you've been following Jesus, and maybe tonight will be your, your first encounter, your, your first step. But you're going to go through some things some highs and some lows, and, and if we're not careful, we'll forget who we are. And what I found is sometimes our, our, our highest moments are some of the toughest to recover from. Like some of our, our highest moments, our, our highest mountaintops, our revival nights on Friday night where we encounter God in the most precious and the most authentic and the most life-changing way, coming back from that on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday can be some of the toughest days to walk through. We got this story in the Old Testament about this man named Jacob. And if you know anything about Jacob, Jacob was a, a deceiver. He deceived his older uh, brother, getting his birthright, deceived his father Isaac and got the blessing. Then he was deceived by his father-in-law Laban. But we see this whole journey of, of Jacob deceiving people. So he's ostracized really from his brother. And we find him in Genesis 32 and Genesis 33. Jacob the deceiver is about to meet the brother in which he stole everything from. Let me backtrack for some of you who don't understand Old Testament Hebrew culture. The oldest or the firstborn son would be due two-thirds of the inheritance. And so two-thirds of the father's wealth and authority and responsibility would go to the firstborn. Well, Jacob stole that from his older brother. So you know that his older brother spent the rest of his life mad, angry, trying to get back at him. Well, they've kind of reconciled. They've had some communication. They are about to meet. And we find Jacob 
in Genesis chapter 32 across the river about to meet Esau again for the first time since he had betrayed him and deceived him. And it's one of the most beautiful passages in Scripture. We're not going to preach it tonight, bummer. But Genesis 32 is where Jacob, at the darkest moment of his life, has an encounter with God. And it says, Jacob the deceiver wrestles with God, and he, and he, he meets God right there, and he wrestles with him all night, and, and he has this encounter, and the Spirit of God touches his hip, and he wrenches it out of socket, saying, you're going to limp for the rest of your life. You're going to walk away from this moment, walking different, looking different. Everybody will take note that you had this encounter that changed you. It's one of the most beautiful moments where at his darkest hour, at his most desperate time, God met him there, and that encounter not only changed his walk, changed his name, changed his identity. It's one of the most special scriptures in all of the Old Testament, God encountering Jacob there. We find him in Genesis 33. We would think that, let's, let's extrapolate that to our time together tonight. We would think like Friday night revival night, we're going to come in here, we're going to raise our hands, we're going to be a part of some amazing worship, we're going to have some amazing times of community and an above average sermon, I believe, and we're going, to, we're going to leave here, we're going to leave here and everything is going to be great. You would think that when Jacob met with God face to face that he made some better decisions the next day, that he stopped being a deceiver, that he stopped making the same mistakes. But what we're going to find in Genesis 33, what I want to talk about tonight is how do we prepare for the day after revival? Like how do we turn the moment into momentum for the rest of our life? So what I want to do is I want to find four things that we, we should stop doing or four things that Jacob did that could leave us in the same spot. Let's see what happened with Jacob's encounter the next day with his brother Esau. Genesis 33, going old school tonight, says, Then Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and his two servant wives. We're not going to get into Old Testament theology tonight and talk about why Jacob had more than one wife, except to say, just don't do that. Like, that is not good for you. That is not a good idea. Uh, he put the servant wives and their children at the front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph last. This is important. He had three different groups of people. Here's all you need to know. We don't need to get into all of it. But basically, Jacob was tricked by his father-in-law Laban to marry the wrong sister. And Rachel was beautiful. The, the, the Bible describes her as a, as a beautiful woman. And it describes Leah with a great personality. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Like, ask Pastor Derek later. Like, it basically says she was not easy to look at. And so we just, just the life-giving way, we say she was a great person. And so, so what Jacob does is he sends the servant wives out first, and then Leah, his second favorite, and then Rachel and Joseph, his favorite. So he has an encounter with God, and yet the next morning, he's still manipulating the situation. He's still uh, striving. He's still strategizing. Instead of trusting the moment he just had with God, he's still trying too hard. And the first way that we're going to keep failing to walk out our inheritance, to walk out our new identity, to let this moment turn into momentum is we keep trying instead of trusting. Like these moments on a Friday night at 508 Revival, these moments when you're in your quiet time at home, these moments in worship and in the Word, they should lead us to lean more on the presence of God and less on ourselves.
But yet we, we go out and we keep acting the same way. We're trying to figure it all out and strategize. We're, we're trying instead of trusting. It's like we forget that these moments ever happen. I don't know if you're like me. I'm pretty ADD. Any ADD people in here? Come on. Have you ever uh, read, uh, if you're ADD, have you ever read a book? You know what I mean? Like anybody else there like me and probably Devin, like you've never finished a book in your life. Like, I don't think that I have. Like, I get a little bored. I skip a few pages. You ever done that, Dev? Have you finished a book cover to cover? I don't think that I have. Like, I get like 100 pages in. I'm like, I got the point. Get on with it. Anybody else like that? Nobody? Have you ever read a page of a book? Come on, Amen Corner. Have you ever read a page of a book and then completely forgotten what you just read? You know what I'm talking about? Like, you're like, huh, what just happened? I blacked out. Started thinking about dinner. Or the girl I sat by at 508 Revival Night. You know what I mean? Like, I just, just don't know what I read. I was studying for this important test, and all of a sudden I'm thinking about God knows what. Have you ever, have you ever been writing something, and then all of a sudden you write down something different, like what you're thinking about, like you're trying to dictate something important in your journal or for a paper, and all of a sudden you're writing about what you watched on Netflix, and you're just, you forget. I know it's bad to admit this as a pastor, but I'll be in the foyer of our church all the time. This will happen tonight, and I apologize in advance. I need you to know that I love you with the love of the Lord. But when we introduce ourselves, I'm probably going to forget, forget your name before you even finish it. You know what I mean? You're like, hey, nice to meet you. I have no idea what your name is. We forget. Like, we, we forget because we get preoccupied. We forget because we're obsessed with what's going on in our head. We forget because we're distracted and we just, we have ADD. We keep, we keep forgetting. And I don't know where your moment with God is. Maybe it was tonight during worship. Maybe it's the end of our message. Maybe it was 10 years ago. But I just feel like I came here tonight to remind some of you that just like Jacob, God met him in his time of need. God met him at his darkest hour. And I don't know who this is for, but you need to know that God did not meet you at the darkest point of your depression, at the lowest point of your insecurity, at the height of your anxiety. He did not meet you in the darkness of midnight to change you and then leave you the next day. Like the same God that set you free will be the same God that can walk with you through anything. Why? Why do we leave him in those moments instead of allowing those moments to continually change our life and shape us in those moments to continue to create momentum in our life? It's because we keep trying instead of trusting. I wrote this down as I was thinking about it this week. If you allow your past hurts and failures and ideas and strategies to shape you, then you won't allow God's love to change you. Like allow God's presence and the moments that you have in his presence to not just make you feel good, but to actually get it on the side and in the inside of you, you begin to trust him instead of trying. So here's the second thing. Let's keep reading together. Verse 3, chapter 33, verse 3. Then Jacob went on ahead, and as he approached his brother, he bowed to the ground seven times before him. That's important. God created the earth in seven days. Seven in the Bible is a number that uh, represents completion. It represents being finished. It represents trust. It represents rest, that, I, that I'm done. And so Jacob goes to his brother, and he bows seven times. He just met with the presence of God, and the next day he's not, then again trusting in himself and putting worship and trust onto somebody else. Then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they both wept. Then Esau looked at the women and children and asked, Who are these people with you? 
These are the children God has graciously given to me, your servant, Jacob replied. Then the servant wives came forward with their children, and they bowed before him. Next came Leah with her children, and they bowed before him. Finally, Joseph and Rachel came forward, and they bowed They bowed before him. We keep failing to walk out this life of inheritance as co-heirs. We keep this life in a moment and not momentum because we keep bowing instead of limping. And what I want to articulate here, we have a lot of young people, young adults, maybe you're not married yet and you don't have kids, but can I just show you something in the scripture that people, let's even take this out of just uh, biological children. If you are a believer in here, somebody is following you. Like you have spiritual sons and daughters in the faith. You are mentoring somebody. If you, are, if you are a disciple, you are called to make disciples. So that means what you do is no longer just about you, but people are following you. Not only did Jacob go and bow, but then his servants' wives and their kids came and bowed. And then Leah came and bowed. And then Rachel came and bowed. Be bad enough, it was just him, but now he's passing down This idea of serving the wrong master, of bowing to the wrong things. And I don't know about you, but me as a father of two boys, there are some things that I'm struggling with when I think about, am I going to pass down these things to my my boys? We've got to trust, but we've got to walk with the change that God gave us and stop bowing down to the wrong things. Let me illustrate. I was traveling Last week to, to Washington, Pastor Jake was with, with me. He can attest to this being very much true. I don't know if you've ever been this. I'm sure you haven't. Super fit. You're working out tomorrow. I'm sure it's going to be a full body workout. You're going to get all the major muscle groups, going to have a big protein shake after and talk about how awesome you are. But every once in a while, unlike Pastor Derek, who is like the most ripped human I've ever seen in my life, every once in a while, not often, but I have a tendency every once in a while to skip leg day. Anybody ever skip leg day? Come on, I know. Say legs are for go, arms are for show. I'm in the show stage of my life. Like, there's not a lot of going that needs to happen. I don't need to run sprints or outperform anybody in any sport like I did with Devin all through my 20s. But, I mean, he, he can beat me now, but at this point, can you even brag? Like, I'm old. Like, you, there's a certain point where it's not even, it's not even impressive anymore. I did, a, I did a really big leg workout, and, uh, and I get on a plane right after, and we get to Washington, and there's a curb coming up. If you've ever been there, come on, guys, you've been there where you, you just, you worked it a little too much, and like you just, you can't get that quite that same knee band. So you get up there, and like every curb is like a, like a, like a, like a, like a, like a sling around, and then, and then you, and you, you're really ginger when you come into it a, a, off a curb. You know what I mean? Like you skipped leg day. Like you, it's not that you, you want to, but you're walking with a limp. You know what I mean? Like you're just, you're just kind of slinging that thing around. Like, and everybody's like, hey, bro, what, what did you do? And it's like, I just worked out legs for the first time in a week. You walk, you walk differently. It's like the movie 300, and if you haven't seen it, please watch it on TV where it's way more appropriate. But there's a moment where King Leonidas is talking to King Xerxes, and King Xerxes is invading Sparta and invading Greece, and he's saying, hey, if you will just bow before me, if you will bow before me, then this can all end. This fight can end, and we can rule together. There's a famous line. He says, I, I would, King Xerxes. Like, I would love to bow before you. I'd love for this to be easy, but I, but I got this cramp. I got this catch. I, I, I got this limp that I can't quite get down on my knees. Well, he knew that a promise of an invading enemy 
would always be a counterfeit, would always be false, would always be something that they would never be able to fulfill. And I need you to know that the things of this world that are calling your name, that are asking you to bow to them, will never fulfill what they're promising. And we keep bowing to them. And I'm just here to tell you, if you've met a real king and his name is Jesus, if you've met a real savior and his name is Jesus, if you've encountered the one true king, you can't bow to anything else. How did Jacob go from the presence of God, touching his hip, telling him to walk with that limp and show it off for the rest of his life, and the next day bowing to things of this world? But we do the same thing. We will come in here tonight, we will raise our hands, we will spend time in the presence of God, and then we'll go bow to peer pressure and bow to that relationship and bow to that substance and bow to that influence. And for far too long, we as Christians even are bowing to the things of this world, to injustice and morality in the name of courage and love and peace. We've lost our courage. We're cowering. We're cowering to things that can't even hurt us. You are a son or daughter of the most high God. And yet we are bowing before things that have no control over us. You gotta stop bowing. Just start walking a little bit differently. Just carrying this moment that I have with God in such a way that we get to this next point and we begin to walk in such a way that people begin to ask why. But Jacob was asked why and he got in this conversation, but he still, he still got it wrong. Here's the third thing that keeps us from carrying this moment and creating momentum for our life and walking this inheritance in verses 8 through 11. Write this down. We keep pleading. Instead of witnessing, we're called to witness. So let's just stay here for a moment. You're called to walk differently so that you can tell people about your encounter with God, your life with God, your, your change. Let's read together verses 8 through 11. And, uh, and what were all the flocks and herds I met as I came, Esau asked. Jacob replied, they are my gift, my Lord, to ensure your friendship. My brother, I have plenty, Esau answered. Keep what you have for yourself. But Jacob insisted, no, if, you found favor, if I found favor with you, please Accept this gift from me. And what a relief to see your friendly smile. It's like seeing the face of God. You see that? He just saw God. And now he's again pleading and manipulating and selling and saying, no, it's, it's, you're like seeing the face of God. You're so amazing. Please accept these gifts. He's, he's pleading again with his brother. He's manipulating. He's deceiving. Please take this gift. That I have brought for you, for God has been very gracious to me. I have more than enough. And because Jacob insisted, Esau finally accepted the gift. We are pleading. And here's, here's what I want to talk about. Jacob, being scared of his brother, thinks that he can, he can bribe him, thinks that he can trick him again, thinks that he can win him over. He, he's pleading with him. But I don't even want to talk very much about how we're, we're pleading with people. I want to talk about with how we're pleading with ourselves. Like how we're how we're witnessing and, and talking to ourselves as we walk through this, this faith journey. Too many Christians are making excuses for themselves. Like, it's just how I am. Like, I just, Pastor Devin, I, I would love to serve people, but I, I don't really, I don't, that's not really my thing. You know, I would love, to, I would love to, to be more bold and to tell people my story and to, to witness to to what God has done for me, but I just, I don't have a lot of confidence. I'm more of an introvert, and so I don't, I, I can't tell anybody. We, we make excuses, and we plead, and we, 
what I found in, in ministry and in my faith journey is that some of the best sermons, some of the best witnessing I do is to myself. And I remind myself of what God has set me free from. Just take, just take a moment. Just think. Just 10 seconds. If, if you've met Jesus in here, just think about who you were without him. It's not good. And then think back to that. And then remind yourself real quick of what he did for you. Who you were, what he did, and then that enough should cause us to live differently, speak differently, treat people differently, talk differently. We will not plead with ourselves with our sin. We will not plead with this world. We will begin to walk out as sons and daughters differently. It's real simple. Trust God a little bit more. Walk a little bit differently. And when people ask why, tell them. Like, tell them what Jesus did. That we do not serve a high priest, Hebrews says, that does not know everything that we've experienced. He was betrayed. He was abused. He was spit on. He was made fun of. He felt anger. He felt temptation. He's felt everything, and yet he lived a perfect life. He died as a sacrifice for you and for me. Not just for you, but as you. Like he took every mistake, every insecurity, every thought, every motive, everything. Died on a cross for you and for me. Rose from the grave three days later to give you victory over that sin. To take away the finality of death. Like just walk differently. Tell people what Jesus did. And then more, not more important, but equally as important. Because they will be like, what's that even mean? Why does that matter? Show them with your life what it meant to you. It's our witness. It's our witness that God is calling us to, to share with other people. But Jacob pleaded instead of witnessing. we got to witness to people. Here's the last one. We'll wrap up. Let's go to verse 12. Verse 12 it says, Well, Esau said, Let's be going. I will lead the way. But Jacob replied, You can see, my Lord, that some of the children are very young, and the flocks and herds have their young too. If they are driven too hard, even for one day, all the animals could die. Please, my Lord, go ahead of your servant. We will follow slowly at a pace that is comfortable for the livestock and their children. I will meet you. All right, Esau said, but at least let me uh, assign some of my men to guide and protect you. Jacob uh, responded, that's not necessary. It's enough that you've received me warmly, my Lord. So Esau turned around and started back to Seir that same day. Jacob, on the other hand, traveled to Succoth. There he built himself a house and made shelters for his livestock. He says, hey, great meeting, but now that he knows he's not going to be killed, now that he knows he's not going to be destroyed, now that he knows he's not going to have everything stolen from him, notice he did not want authentic relationship or restoration or forgiveness from his brother. He just wanted to appease him. He just wanted to kind of settle the beef and get, get around it. He said, hey, I will follow you. You go first. And then as soon as his brother turns and Walks away, he goes the other way. His last failure was that he, he promised. He kept promising, but he, he never performed. And if there's anything that our generation that I see in leading our church and being in our Christian faith is the first three, they're hard, but we can, we can get there. I can trust God a little bit more. And I can live differently. It may take a little time. With a little encouragement, I can begin to share my story and share the gospel and invite people to church. 
But this fourth one, we are notorious as believers for overpromising and underdelivering. Yeah, I'll be there, man. Absolutely. And here's how we do it. You do it. I've done it. Somebody comes to us struggling. I'll be praying for you. Yeah, I'll definitely be praying for you. And we walk out of that encounter. We don't pray. We don't think about it again. So yeah, I'll, I'll be there. I'll, I'll support you. But then the minute they don't do what we need them to do inside of the local church or with our agenda or with our initiative or on our team or in our group, the minute that they have changed anything about a relationship, we just let them go and do their own thing. We are notorious for promising one thing and performing. Here's something else I want to ask you. If Jesus has changed your life, if you've had that wrestling encounter with him, look at me, everybody, 508. Do you look differently? If God has changed something on the inside of you, if you really have received his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness, and he's changed something on the inside of you, at some point, your outside man, your outside motives, your outside actions will change. And if they have it, Caused us to question if anything on the inside ever did. Pastor, you saying that I have to work my way to God? No. We don't perform. We don't serve. We don't plug into the local church. We don't do all of these things to get to God. You got to get this. Somebody's got to get this. We do not perform. Like we do not tithe at our local church. We do not do outreaches. We do not lead small groups. We do not serve at 508. We do not do any of that to get to God. We do all of that because God got to us. And the overflow, the overflow of that is gratitude and then action. We cannot be people that Sit on the sidelines and watch our friends, our family, our sisters, our brothers, our loved ones die and go to an eternity apart from God while we just say the right things. No, we've got to be people. We've got to be people that don't just promise, but we, we deliver. We've got to trust. We've got to walk differently. We've got to tell people why we're walking differently. And then once we tell them, we've got to do everything we can to show them the love of Jesus Christ. You know, Jacob, Jacob is one of the founding fathers of our faith. He ended up getting it right. Chapter 34, he goes through some more disaster, some more consequences, some more loss due to his decisions in chapter 33. But eventually, he goes home, builds the house that God is calling him to build called it Bethel, the house of God, inherits the land that God was calling him to inherit and raises his family there, really finishes his, his faith journey well. But I think I came to tell you that tonight that you can go from your encounter to a faith-filled and a faithful life that you don't have to go through 33 and 34 
if you'll just let 32 be a moment that changes your life. Like if you'll just let the encounter stick. You know what happens in, in chapter 32? I'll close with this thought. It's, uh, he wrestles with God, and God in, in chapter 32, verse 27, I think it is. Verse 27, the Spirit of God asks him, what is, what's your name? He says, my name is Jacob. Could have said anything, could have lied. Jacob, translated, means deceiver. So his encounter with God started with him acknowledging who he was. That I am lost. That I need you. That I need to change. He said, I'm a deceiver. He says, you'll no longer be a de deceiver. You'll no longer be Jacob. You'll be Israel. And if that makes any sense to you, Israel's God's chosen people. He became the father of God's chosen people in that moment. It's a name change. This is kind of personal to me. It's kind of a silly way to end, but I just remember this two weeks ago. I was having a dinner with my mom and dad, and they were telling the story about when I was born. When I was born, I was born in Birmingham, Alabama, 1984, and uh, Brookwood Hospital brought me home. It was three days later, third day I was born. This is not, I'm not making this up. This is not a preacher story. The third day I was born, my dad walks into the nursery. My mom was rocking me. She hands me to my dad, and my dad's holding me right there. My father is holding me in his arms, and he, my dad's name's Steve. And he says, Ellen, what's... What was the, some other names on your list for this child? And she's like, what are you talking about? Like, we're home. It's three days, birth certificates on the kitchen table. She's like, what was what's some other names? And my name for three days was Matthew Stephen. My dad walks in the room. He says, this kid doesn't look like a Matthew Stephen. He looks like a, a Justin Heath. Like, my birth certificate was done. Like, nobody, nobody off the streets could come and say, hey, you don't look like, you don't look like Matthew. You look like, be like, well, you're crazy. You can't rename me. That's my name. My mom and dad gave me that name. I got a government document with that, my name on it. You can't change it. Did you know the only people that could change your name are your, your guardians or are your parents? Like, like for our context tonight, like my dad was the only person that could change my name. But yet all of us are called sons and daughters of the Most High God, that you can be a co-heir, that you can rule forever with him in eternity, but yet we let every person that comes in our path rename us. If you allow the world to rename you abused, Addicted, a victim, insecure, depressed, anxious, needy, clingy, not enough. Why? Somebody that has no right to speak that over your life. Maybe you've looked in the mirror and you've renamed yourself. That I can never be good enough. I can never be smart enough. When your father in heaven calls you son or daughter, it doesn't matter what anybody else says about you. Only your father can name you, and only your father can rename you. And here's what happens theologically. We're, we're sent down from, from heaven. It says before you were in your mother's womb, your, your father in heaven knew you. It's so important. 
Look at the book of Ephesians. It tells us that, that not only did he know you, but he had a purpose for you. Like he had a calling for you, and then he made you to fulfill that calling. Like if that's not the best news ever, that, that the creators of the heavens and earth, like he, he created the whole world, the whole universe from nothing, and then he saw a purpose for you and for me and says, I'm going to create them to do it. So he names us with a purpose, and then we come into this world and we inherit, unfortunately, this sinful nature. Loss, lack, anger, bitterness, whatever it is. And it will happen to everybody because we live this life in a sinful world. The world does rename us. So my goal for our time together tonight is that you were named with a purpose. You were renamed with loss and with sin. That tonight would be the night that you allow your father to rename you as son, daughter, chosen, conqueror, victor, champion. Pastor, small group leader, business person that creates a business that reaches, missionary, a father, a son, a friend, and let him rename you so that you can walk out of here differently in Jesus' name. Would you bow your heads, file away, every head bowed, every eye closed. God, we love you. We thank you that your word in Genesis 33, written thousands of years ago, the Holy Spirit, you're still speaking to us today. You're changing us. You're shaping us. We thank you for your word. By the way, nobody looking around. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to give you that opportunity to be renamed tonight. A son or daughter, we preached the gospel clearly a few moments ago, but Jesus lived a perfect life, died a sinner's death in your place, and was resurrected to give you victory, and you are one one heartfelt decision away from being renamed. The Bible declares in the book of Romans that if we will confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that he is Lord, and that word Lord is really important. It's giving him control. The key word I want you to hear right now as the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart is the word surrender. That when you give up control, when you surrender your will to his, that's when the transaction takes place. That's when the decision takes root. When you say, I don't want to do this alone anymore. I've done enough. It's time for me to give up me and take all that God has for me. What if you did that tonight? You allow God to rename you tonight and you lived differently because of it. So come on, nobody's looking around. It's just you in a moment with God. You say, I need Jesus. I've been labeled. I've been distracted. I've been running. I've been a deceiver. I've been manipulative. I see myself in this story in Genesis 33. I see myself as Jacob. I see myself as wandering. And I need Jesus tonight. For some of you, for the first time ever, you've never been to a church like this. You've never heard the gospel presented. And in fact, the words that I'm saying right now are not that important. What's important is what the Spirit of God is speaking to you. And he's saying, tonight is your night. Tonight is your night to give your heart, to give your life to me and change your life. And, and even more importantly, it's going to change where you spend eternity. So come on, for the first time ever, others of you are like me. I was 19 years old in a church just like Connect Church, in a youth and young adult group just like the 508. And I had walked aisles, I had prayed prayers, I had raised my hand, but I, I had never trusted fully 
I had never surrendered everything and said, God, have your way in all of my life. I raised my hand that night and got connected to that local church and have never been the same. So come on, for the first time, 508, or by recommitting your life for the first time in a long time, you say, I need Jesus. I need Jesus to rename me tonight. Would you raise your hand right where you are and say, I need a relationship with God. Come on, come on, come on. Come on, raise them high. Proud of you. Come on, come on. Hands up all over the room. A few more moments. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Proud of you. Being renamed. A new purpose. A new lease on life. Perspective changing. Life altering. Eternally secure relationship as you make a decision and become a follower and disciple of Jesus. Come on. Anybody else? Proud of you. If you raise your hand, you put it down. Would you pray this? You can just pray it silently right where you are, right? Where you're seated. Pray it in your heart as I pray it out loud. Say something like this. Say, God, I love you. And God, I thank you for saving me. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner and I'm saved only by your grace. I'm confessing with my mouth and I'm believing in my heart that you are the Lord. I'm giving you that place, complete and total control. God, have your way. Have your way in my life. Thank you. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name.